0: Welcome back to another episode of the Your Houston Podcast. This is your host, Mario Castillo. And today we're speaking with Gracie Signs for the second episode of our Hispanic Heritage Month series. And we'll be talking all about LULAC Council 60. Before we get into that, a little bit more about Gracie. If you don't know, she was the first citywide elected Latina in 1992 when she won her election to city council position at Large One. She later became named Mayor Pro Tem by Mayor Bob Lanier and was the first Latina ever to be named to this position. In addition to her public service through city council, Gracie has been the recipient of numerous awards throughout her career. to include the Hispanic Women of the Year from the Mexican American Opportunity Foundation, the Hispanic Women's Leadership Hall of Fame, Outstanding Citizen Award from the Boy Scouts, the International Service Award from the Houston Junior Chamber of Commerce, a woman on the move twice as she's been recognized by the University of Houston, and has received the Distinguished Service Award by the College of Law and Faculty from the U of H Alumni Association. Most recently, she was awarded the Distinguished Lifetime Achievement Award by the city of Houston for all of her community work. She also serves on the boards of nonprofits and other organizations that include the University of St. Thomas, Project Grad, Project Self Foundation, the Houston Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, and the Memorial Hermann Hospital System. We're really excited to get the chance to speak with her today to learn more about LULAC Council 60 and all the ways that you can get involved and support the work that they do. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to speak with us, Gracie, and and share um, the story of LULAC Council 60 and and its history and and what is going on today. Before we dive into all of that, we want to take a little time to get to know you a little more. Um, So we're gonna go into what we call our liftoff round. Off. The clock has started. Roger. What is your favorite restaurant to go to in Houston?
1: Well, it depends on the time of day. Okay, so for breakfast, I sometimes like to go to the Leland House or my husband's counter here uh, for lunch. Uh, again, it depends on uh, all sorts of things. Carrabba's uh, mm-hmm. is one of my favorite places. Uh, as well as uh, El Tiempo Mm -hmm. Uh, but I usually like to go to El Tiempo uh, in the evenings and uh, of course after uh, being out clubbing and everything I like to go to (laughs) to uh, Don Carlos uh, Mexican (laughs) restaurant uh, out here in the east side so it just kind of depends on the mood I'm in Uh, we you know uh, to tell you the truth, Mario, we have some incredible restaurants. We are so fortunate here in Houston.
0: We sure we are.
1: Can, we can we can eat anything and everything, and at a reasonable price, you know. So Vietnamese food, Chinese food, to Indian, to you know, uh, it's just amazing what we can get our hands on.
0: It is. It's it's one of the reasons why you know these questions will typically change somewhat from guest to guest, but that's always the first one because. You want to know where people go. What's their favorite? <laughs> There's so many options. And I can't tell you how many great places I've tried just from asking people here what their favorite restaurant just, is. Just
1: take one. Oh, yeah. it doesn't work that way. You can't do it.
0: <laughs> okay. So rodeo season is coming up. Um, who would you like to see or if you could book a rodeo uh, musical act for next year, who would you pick? Selena. Selena. Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> I actually got to see her, uh, you know, perform in the rodeo, and I actually got to greet her because at that time I was on city council, so uh, we got that option, and and oh my God, it it was amazing the the show the the, I mean it it she just was the greatest number of people that had attended thus far. And uh, the performance just spectacular. I just can't even begin to tell you. Now, that's who I would love to see. Uh, I don't know uh, at this point; it's not possible. Uh, but I'm sure we could probably have some good impersonators along the way. Uh. <laughs> um, and but in the meantime, I, I would like to see Tejano music come back. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. I really, really would like to see some. Good Tejano bands to come back. I grew up with, of course, with with Maz, Little Joe, yep. you know, and uh, a lot of the the older uh, Tejano bands, and so it's it would be good.
0: Um, I actually was at the show as well as a kid. Um, really? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! It was just a couple of days after my birthday, and I was a huge Selena fan, and so my mom and one of my aunts and cousins, we went. And it was just, it's a highlight that, I mean, I still remember. Um, and what a what a sad tragedy, but I mean, we grew up listening to Tejano music. I grew up listening to Kaku Kuka in the radio, right, right. in the car, everywhere my parents drove. So sure. all those people you named, I could probably still, if the song comes on, I'll probably still sing it. Little Joe
1: and the Latin ears, you know, <laughs> the Sunliners. I mean, it was just like, you can go on and on and on, yeah. yeah. We And Emilio, uh, Emilio uh-huh. was also one of my favorite. Uh, so, yeah, I actually, it's funny because I learned how to dance polka, right? My polka's here in, in the barrio. And then, you know, we ended up going to, to Germany one year and they would have these polka dancing contests and we would always win them. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was, that's kind of weird, right? <laughs> they anyway, weren't expecting that. <laughs> they weren't expecting that
0: one. <laughs> Okay, um, tell us about one of the more you know memorable or impactful books that you've read. Wow,
1: um, the Bible probably is probably one of the most impactful books that I've ever read. Scripture, <laughs> it uh, it's very impactful, uh, and uh, so I've been reading uh, lately some some uh, books. One of is uh, in connection with the. Hernandez case, the State of Texas versus Hernandez, and it has to do with the history of the attorneys that actually tried the case uh, or, or handled the case for the Mexican American community, uh, and it involved uh, the lack of, of jurors. You know that you know you're supposed to be jur- uh, judged by a jury of your peers, and at that time, uh, that particular uh, area in, in South Texas did not. Have any Mexican Americans serving on the jury. Uh, they contended that since uh, we were considered white and there were white on the juries, that we had nothing to complain about. Uh, so they took it all the way to the Supreme Court.
0: Oh, wow. And,
1: and it was a, a uh, it was a real challenge. Uh, and it was the first time actually that the Supreme Court actually acknowledged that the Mexican American community was a separate group. It was an identifiable group mm-hmm. uh, and that it was protected under the Equal Protection Clause. So uh, yes, that's what I read late at night, right? <laughs> <laughs> As yeah. an attorney, I mean, I, I I just find it fascinating some of the things that have evolved because of the law.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially sure. with respect to civil rights and Exactly. That I mean, makes exactly. perfect sense. Um, so this is one of our episodes uh, featured for Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, can you tell us about a Latino or Latina leader that uh, inspires you?
1: Uh, Sonia Sotomayor, of course, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, um, she was amazing uh, and being the first Supreme Court Justice. Uh, so, Puerto Rican even uh but she definitely is, is high up there. Uh, Dolores Huerta is another, uh, you know, Latina pioneer that I've always admired, who uh, was part of the farm workers, um, you know, civil rights. uh, And she worked side by side by, uh, by, you know, with uh, Cesar Chavez. And many times she was a strategist. Uh, She actually was uh, out there, you know, involved in the actual protests and involved in the actual uh, bringing to light the injustices that the farm workers were, were suffering. Yep. So Dolores Huerta is another one of mine. Uh, Selena, of course, uh, of course. Is, is another Latina that I've always held in high esteem, not only because of her wonderful talent, but because she also uh, was, you know, pretty she was a very great success. She had been able to, you know, launch her clothing line. She she was a businesswoman, an entrepreneur. And that's a, a part of the story that I think a lot of people have failed to recognize. She was also one of the first crossover artists. You know, she had been singing in Spanish for many years, and she was finally able to cross over into the English community or English uh, music genre. Uh, and then, of course, this tragedy uh, happened. Uh, so she was a success even after her death, you know? Oh, yeah. And and not only in the United States, that's the other thing that uh, a lot of people do not know is that her uh, recognition and and uh, her famous, her songs were, were enjoyed by all of Latin America. And you know, everywhere from from Europe to to uh, South America to Central America, she's just an incredible artist, and and it was international. So that's the other thing. Um, can I continue down the list of, of women that I have
0: admired? <laughs> <laughs> You've named some some heavy hitters, <laughs> and I think all of them. I mean, they're all fantastic choices, and I I know that Dolores Huerta will do some event, at least before the pandemic, she would still uh, do some things in Houston and and people. she was
1: recognized uh, at the uh, Holocaust Museum, I believe, and uh, actually an exhibit of the farm workers Mm -hmm. was at the Holocaust Museum, which was just fascinating. Um, And uh, I actually have her on a mural on the side of my, uh, of my law office. Uh, oh, along wow. with other you know personalities we have uh, emiliano zapata dolores huerta we have uh frida Kahlo, diego rivera oh, wow. yeah it's it's quite an impressive uh mural it is painted by eric castillo who is one of the artists uh here in the east side his uh our art, artist's name is cutthroat <laughs>
0: <laughs> well um i think we appreciate, you know, you shared some wonderful insights with us and I think we got to know you a little better there. (laughs) So thank you for that. Um, we are really glad to have you and, and to talk about, uh, LULAC council 60, uh, and LULAC in general. I mean, it's, it's a organization that has a lot of history, uh, has done so much for, for civil rights. Um, let's just start by, by talking about, um, some of the history here specifically in Houston with Council 60?
1: Well, um, right now our organization, uh, our local Wulak Council 60, it's historic. Uh, it was actually uh, started here in Houston in 1935. Uh, so uh, the actual League of United Latin American Citizens started in, in South Texas. And one of the first councils that was developed was in Corpus Christi. Uh, That was back in 1924 and about 24, 25. Again, it was dealing with a lot of the discrimination and injustices that many Mexican Americans citizens were experiencing during that time and throughout the years, needless to say. So um, during the depression, there was a huge removal of Mexican citizens throughout the Southwest, Uh, and uh, along with them, there were quite a few U.S. citizens that were deported, and I shouldn't say deported because deported means that you had a hearing, Uh, but in this case, a lot of the railroad companies actually rounded up families and put them on railroad cars and send them back to Mexico. It was called repatriation back to Mexico. Now you ask, well, how do you really know that Gracie? Well, my father was one. My my father was actually born here in Houston in 1926. And in uh, and when he was about six years old, he was part of this removal. And I say removal because that's what it was. And they're, they're estimated that close to 600,000 to a million, people were removed from the Southwest. So it would involve California, New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, even Louisiana, and some in Oklahoma. What people fail to to understand is that uh, many laborers came from Mexico into the United States during the early 1900s and during the revolution that was taking place down there. And uh, they had established roots. And here in Houston, we had a very vibrant uh, Hispanic-Mexican community, uh, very successful, um, that was part of the Segundo Barrio, second ward. Uh, back in those days, again, uh, Houston was um, uh, segregated. And so the Mexicanos lived in the second ward. Mm-hmm. And so that's where a lot of our, our families were, were housed. Um, my father was born off of Jimson and Clinton, uh he remembered well his the house was there and and eventually they moved the house into the fifth ward and that's where we were born I was born in a crisol the barrio el crisol in the fifth ward uh so uh and it was named el crisol and for the longest time I didn't know why it was called el crisol I thought it had to do some with something with the sun, right? And mm-hmm. El uh, but it actually was the Chrysol plant that the railroad oh, companies wow. were were manufacturing and were using for the for the railroad ties. Yeah. And all of that smell and everything. And of course now they find out that it's a cancer cluster in that area. Yep. But that's where I had uh grown up. Fortunately, we, we moved uh, out towards the north part of town uh, eventually and uh and so that Now, what was your question,
0: buddy?
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is all part of my history.
0: It is. And it's, I mean, this is all fascinating, especially to hear about your father and his experience. I mean, that happened to so many. It did. And that's, you think about that happening in our country, and it's just like, wow, these are the facts and the reality.
1: And and when people say you know uh, we're gonna we're just gonna remove all these people and we kept saying how can you do this well you know it has happened in in our history uh, my father fortunately was uh, able to come back to the United States at first he, he talks about the fact that he came in as an undocumented but he was able to prove his U.S. citizen birth by the fact that he had been baptized at Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, And that particular Catholic Church, which actually built for Los Mexicanos here in Houston, uh, again, because it was Mm segregated. And uh, as as the story goes, right, all of these things are happening to our community in Texas. And so the League of United Latin American Citizens came together to really uh, try to bolster and educate our community as to their rights as citizens of the United States, and uh, that became a a major um, goal for them to to help community integrate and understand their rights and get them to know how to fight back if those rights were in any way infringed upon Uh, so we had the clubhouse actually came into being so so our chapter started in the night, late 1920s 1930s but the house was not bought until 1935
0: okay this is the okay. this is where your clubhouse okay
1: yes we had the 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 council had met uh met and off of navigation for many many years but they kept getting harassed by the police and so they had to find a place where they could congregate without the fear of of police barging in. And so that's what gave them the impetus to buy their own building. And so it was bought in 1955, there was a down payment made made by then one of our uh, more successful entrepreneurs, Felix Tijerina, from the Tijerina restaurants, Mm -hmm. and uh, or Felix's restaurant was it was called. Um, And he made the down payment, and the, the council um, designated a certain number of of their members to be owners of the actual house. The members would then uh, raise funds to pay the taxes and the upkeep. Uh, throughout the years, um, this house went into disrepair, and then when Hurricane Harvey hit, it really went into disrepair. Oh wow! It was damaged very very much. So the effort right now is is to help you know, restore it. And we have uh, a, a Facebook page people can visit if they wish to donate. It's council60clubhouse.com uh, and it's called the LULAC House Project. the The house itself is considered a national treasure by the National Trust for Historic Preservation. This designation was given after the history uh, and what took place in the house uh, was, was actually researched and, and found. Many things that have happened in Houston have not just impacted the city, but the state and the and the country. Um, one of the focus of this organization has been education from the very get-go. And they recognize that many of our children that were entering into kindergarten were always behind mm-hmm. their peers. And so what they started was they called it La Escuelita de Cuatrocientos, and that basically was an attempt to teach the children before they entered kindergarten, four hundred basic English words. Oh wow! And and as that that particular program started, there was great success in in our our children being able to uh, not only attend but also to be retain them in school long enough for them to be able to go on and graduate and eventually you know go on to higher education that program was then what the basis upon which project head start at the federal level at the national level got started. wow
0: so that was the the
1: so the, the model as yep. they say wow. and um And so Project Head Start was started uh, at that time. They said uh, the Johnsons, Lady Bird Johnson was familiar with it. And so was President Johnson. They were uh, teachers at one time, or he was a teacher in in the community. uh, And uh, so they launched the Project Head Start. The other program that got started was another project that was uh, because as our young military soldiers, veterans were returning from war. Many times they could not find employment when they got home. And um, the reason was always that they were not skilled laborers, they were not skilled workers. Mm -hmm. So uh, what's what's the solution? You gotta train them. So what they decided to do was they proceeded to get a grant from the Navy that would start uh, a training program and that started the SARE Jobs for Progress. And SARE is now national. Yep. It's a training program that is found in different communities. It has grown uh, tremendously here in the Houston area, and but it got its start because of the uh, Lulet Council. And many of the, the members of the council were part of the original um, organization of SARE Jobs the other pro- program was housing and i think you'd, you'd be uh appreciate the fact that housing is also one of those areas that we um we need to to uh to grow in well, yeah. it's one of those scenarios that we 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 say we have needs and we are not there yet so uh housing was another initiative that was started and uh that particular program uh had impetus also in uh, LULAC Council 60. Uh, The National LULAC Housing Commission uh, got started. And so from there, it took off to the housing, the Department of Housing and Urban Development at the national level.
0: What a legacy. Uh, I mean, you're you're talking about these programs that are national federal programs that are tied. And the
1: ideas that got started in that house, in that LULAC house. And by the members coming together and, and, you know, coming up with solutions and to the issues and the problems and not being afraid to address them because um, many of our, the members were attorneys and entrepreneurs and businessmen. So they were cultivating a, a, a sense of, of power and a sense of, of uh, making sure that their voice was heard. Uh, And and we continue that, uh, even even today. So, um, you know, many civil rights, um, you know, issues were were dealt with by the members of Mm -hmm. this organization. Uh, Many times people are dealing with all sorts of issues, uh, being oppressed, being excluded, being uh, harassed. Uh, you know, even even today when it's kind of sad to think in El Paso that someone would come and just, you know, shoot up a store and because they were Mexicans that yep. he was after. I mean, that's we're still dealing with that today, Mario. So um the work know, is not done. The work is still not done. We've we've a long way to
0: go. So you mentioned the the Facebook group, which we can put a link up to to, yes. to the have uh folks click on that uh how much are you trying to raise to restore the clubhouse uh
1: so we're looking at right now putting together a, a, a project budget of between three to five million okay. uh the actual house itself we're hoping uh with the, this particular facebook launch and uh fundraising is hopefully up to five hundred thousand um uh, But our actual intent is to not only repair the house, but also recapture the historical stories and and documents and and artifacts and memorabilia of all of the different years of of our LULAC council and the history of of our community here in Houston, but also nationally. Uh, So it's going to have a historical objective in maintaining, uh, and also, um, you know, a teaching uh, for our future. One of the things that I I, I often tell people uh, is that we have remained very quiet as a community about our stories, and uh, and you know, history comes back and haunts us again with the abuses. And so uh, until we know what has happened in the past and we share this history and we refuse to allow it to be repeated, I I believe that we will continue to be victimized and abused. Uh,
0: yeah. And, and we really appreciate you sharing all of this with us because we will, you know, do our part and get this out there. I mean, I'm going to tell everyone I know now that this program <laughs> turned into Head Start at LULAC. Six Council yeah. Sixty started. I mean, HUD. These these things that they're familiar with. This is incredible history and and knowledge, and it directly tied to the community here. It's it's right. fascinating.
1: Yeah. So I, you know, the council continues to work. Uh, we continue to grow our membership. Uh, people are very involved right now with uh, making sure that our community gets uh, information about vaccinations, information about COVID uh, information. Right now, our biggest challenge will be education, since so many of our students uh, are probably about a year behind now. Uh, that is a, a huge concern. We are probably, the our Hispanic uh, students are the biggest uh, part of the demographics in terms of our HISD, which is one of the largest school districts. And, um, We've got a lot to catch up on.
0: So when the building is restored, uh, you mentioned recapturing history and document. Will this be used um, as a museum type of? We're hoping we're
1: we're we're in the in the throes of finalizing our plans. And so part of it is going to be museum but high touch in other words it it'll it'll probably be uh, mediums that they can bring up information for people we don't have much space um we will have the probably the bottom floor for community space uh for organizations and, and for our lulac and then we're, we're going to attempt to rent out the the top offices uh to have some sort of, you know, um, funding coming in uh, Mm -hmm. for maintenance of the building and so forth. So uh, that's the other thing. Uh, We're hoping that we can have enough in the uh, fundraising that we might be able to buy some additional property to expand some of the programs and some of the needs.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So for people who aren't familiar, where is the clubhouse located?
1: 3004 Bagby in Midtown. And uh, most of the time, most people don't even see it because they're kind of kind of rounding the corner on Bagby. It's a block away from where everybody eats. It's Harry's restaurant. So Uh that's another place (laughs) I like to eat. Uh, So so it's just a block down, And it's, um, yeah, they can see it and it does have a national uh, uh, what is it a marker on there as well.
0: Gotcha. So, yeah. Wow. We
1: we have uh, we have great hopes for for that organization. You know, the actual build out and the fundraising. We're we're hoping people will recognize its importance, and it's not just about here locally uh, and the state, but it is nationally as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we you know we want to do our part to help, um, which was why yeah. we thought it would be. Uh, beneficial to to have you join us and to to talk about the history, to talk about the building, uh, the goal, what y'all want to do with the restoration, and I mean, it sounds like it would be not only a, a great way to recapture and to tell that story and the history, but also future uh, benefit to the city, just being able to host community organizations and uh, have some office space.
1: And I should say that the city also has designated it as a a protected landmark as well, so we have, and it it is uh, also been uh, incorporated into TERS too, Mm -hmm. so we're hoping that the TERS will also be uh, helping in in terms of some of the needs and the infrastructure that we might need as well. Uh, So, we've done quite a bit now we're waiting for a, hopefully a charitable designation for tax purposes yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, we're waiting on that final uh decision but for the most part we have been working really hard it has been a labor of love it has not been been uh, uh you know overnight uh like i said because of harvey we we were fortunate that the national trust uh was able to that get a designation. We were able to get an initial grant for 140,000 that helped with getting some professionals because of the historic nature of the building. There are certain requirements that have to be followed. And unfortunately that costs money. And then we had to at least stabilize the building, put a roof and the foundation. So that came in very handy. And then we got another grant from uh, Houston Endowment that allowed us to wrap the building up and seal it uh, and uh, put a security fence around it. Uh, and so all of that are extra cost and uh-huh. for the for the moment, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> but now it's trying to get it to that final, final out, uh, you know, restoration point.
0: Well, we're going to encourage everyone listening and watching to go to the Facebook page to make a contribution, uh, support this campaign. Is there anything else people can do if they want to help, if they want to contribute beyond a donation?
1: Well, you know, we, we are, uh, it's, it is uh, the building itself, uh, the asset was put under the, uh, a new nonprofit organization called C60 Inc. So that it's not part of our actual LULAC Council 60, but the LULAC Council members are uh, very involved in helping our C-60 uh, um, Board to try to develop the fundraising and develop the the information and uh, the need uh, for support. Um, C60 currently, uh, the board president is Mr. Ray Valdez, and we have been fortunate enough to have several board members that have been very instrumental in helping us uh, with, you know, the exposing of this project and as well as the support. We even have Mr. McKinney. Uh, oh, as yeah, you, as you know, <laughs> uh, he he he's part of, of uh of a great group of people working really diligently to help uh, bring the, the restoration to happen as well as Dr. Jean Preuss. Uh, Dr. Preuss is a history professor at the University of Houston uh, downtown. Uh, he's been uh, him and his wife, Mary, have been very instrumental in helping us, uh, uh, you know, obtain some of these stories, some of these historical facts and researching and so forth. Uh, We also have the the benefit of, you know, Ray's wife. And so, uh, she's an attorney and um, she's been absolutely, Lydia Thomas, been very helpful in making sure we are putting together the grants correctly. And uh, she edits and briefs them and so forth and so on. So there are a lot of people involved uh, to say the least. Uh, We recently had a very um, uh, tech savvy individual, Mr. Jesus Davila. Jesus has been with landing advisors and has been very aggressive in in helping us cultivate this Facebook uh, Mm -hmm. uh, fundraiser. Uh, and even the uh, Mr. Tamiz with uh, uh, outreach strategies oh, that have also been very helpful. Uh, we have uh, council member um, Gordon Kwan, who has been on board uh, and we, we're just getting a lot of help from the community. And we're really excited about that. And so I just wanted to give them a shout out out there for all the work that's been doing as well.
0: Wonderful. well, we're we're happy to to join the effort, and um, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk to us and to share the information. I know that you've got a lot on your plate and you stay busy. Uh, so <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> thanks thank you for uh, for talking with us this afternoon.
1: Thank you, Mario. I really appreciate the opportunity to bring it to the viewers and to all our Houstonians out there. We need them.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Your Houston podcast. And we are so grateful to Gracie for her time and her knowledge that she shared with us today. We have a link in the description with uh, more information on LULAC Council 60 that you can check out. And if you're interested in joining Your Houston as a member, you can go to yourhou.com slash memberships to learn more. We hope you've enjoyed our Hispanic Heritage Month series with Dr. Adriana Thames and Gracie Sines. We'll be back next month with more episodes. Be sure to like and subscribe to catch all of our content.